You hear those sleigh bells ringling, sleigh bells jingling. Ooh, this is our Christmas special with Carl Jacobson as our guest. And now, for the first time, I'm realizing my attempt to be festive and ring these bells just basically looks like I'm uh, milking Rudolph. So, all I can promise you is the rest of the show will get better because this week we have Carl Jacobson on... I'm Bob Cobb from the Bassmaster. Welcome to Mercer! Happy Hump Day, all. Back in your life here at the Mercer Podcast, the Awkwardly Honest Fishing Podcast. And of course, as you see, adorned in a beautiful Rudolph sweater, if you're listening to the audio version, uh, I'm just explaining it to you. It is a beautiful Rudolph sweater with a pull-up hood adorned with antlers and, of course, bells that uh, I just found out, actually may make it look like you have others. Um, so rather than messing around, I'll get serious and I'll get into things because this is a Christmas special. You guys are stressed out. You guys are out there shopping or maybe you're wrapping gifts or maybe you're just hammered right now. But whatever you're doing, Christmas is in a few days. I hope it's awesome for all of you. And I hope this show makes it a little bit better with this week's guest, the one and only Carl Jacobson. He makes things special no matter what time of year it is. So without further ado, let's bring him in right now. Carl Jacobson. Carl Jacobson, thank you for doing this. And as you see, it is our festive special. And uh, I've come, I've come dotted out in the Rudolph sweater. What do you think? I like it. I like it. I feel like, do you just have that same hair going in that same shape? If you just, <laughs> it's exactly. Oh yeah, the treasure trail down here gets real interesting. It gets better though. Watch, watch. I mean, it gets better. Oh, it's right. not, it's not just a sweater. I mean, it's a. Do not walk outside right now. It is hunting season. You. <laughs> Is it is this the biggest buck you've seen in the last few weeks? <laughs> I probably would have shot you. <laughs> uh, well, thank you for doing this. Merry Christmas, happy holidays, all that stuff. Obviously, this show. Uh, how long should I commit to this hood up? Do you think? Do you think I should do it like the whole show so people halfway through tune in and wonder what the hell is wrong with me? <laughs> Who are you talking to? Rudolph <laughs> <laughs> the whole time. <laughs> What, uh, what's going on in your life? Everything. I mean, you have a baby on the way. You're getting ready for an upcoming season. It's Christmas. You know, a lot. It, and yeah. you're, it seems like every time I see you, you're with a different person hunting somewhere. Yeah, it's been, uh, it's been a good off season. You know, uh, the last, you know, ever since I got here, sort of just, you know, and I'm always just go, 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 go. But like I've seen, um, there's just so many like amazing opportunities over here that, I've watched for years and years and years and just wanted to be a part of, you know, and I've just leading up to making the elites and those first couple in the elites and the first couple of years in FLW, like I didn't have time or the money or anything to do like any of that stuff. It just looked incredible. I'm like, man, I want to be able to do that. But I just was grinding so hard to make sure and trying to figure out the following year especially visa staff, the attorneys, like it just took up so much of my time. It was um, frustrating. And um, I was actually talking to my mate yesterday from back home in Australia. And he's like, I'm always telling everyone over here, it's not what you think. He's like the hardest worker ever. You got no idea like what he goes through. And then he's been seeing me hunting, you know, <laughs> like I'm telling him all day, he's got the best job. <laughs> so, uh, 
it's just been good last year and this year of actually um, it's been nice to just sort of just have that break. Like in years and years I've gone into the season like sort of rolling off the back of the other season, zero rest, zero back off, and then almost like almost burn out before you start the season. You're like scrambled. So it has been nice to spend time with other elite anglers, friends that I've made here in the U.S., seeing different parts of the U.S. and then getting those opportunities to hunt with Brandon in Montana and Idaho, hunt with Gerald. Like, you know, I've just – I've gotten – to a spot where people of that kind of caliber are willing to take me. And I'm, I, I just appreciate like every day of it. So I learn a lot about myself. I learn a lot about fishing. I get a break off it. There's, it's not like I'm um, stepping away from fishing totally. I'm actually using it as a tool to grow and get better for the following year. I think it's important. Number one, I'm incredibly impressed with your ability to stay serious while I'm an idiot sitting here dressed like this. <laughs> yeah, Luke, take the gap off. <laughs> no, I'm sticking with it. I'm I'm I'm, I'm going full, full Rudolph. Um, you haven't got different... genetics. You got bad antlers. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I'm a little. I'm a calcium deficient, I guess. I don't know. It just happens at my age. You have a hard time keeping your antler up. If you thought you'd just been like that, it needed to go. That that buck's got to go. <laughs> Those two hunts, though, totally different. Like, if you look at, 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 I mean, it couldn't be any different. You know what I mean? Like, literally, one, you climbed up a tree, and the other one, you climbed up a mountain. Um, yeah. yeah. How, di how different is that for you mentally? Do, do they both give you the same thing? Um, no, well, no, the elk hunting, um, is like, I would say it is in the top five, top three most difficult things I've ever done in my life. Really? Physically, mentally, like all of it being away for that long. Like it is probably single-handedly the most important thing I think I've ever done in my life is going out there and doing that. It's, it's something special. Like when I come back from that, montana hunt um i was a different person in every really? way yeah the the physical side of things you realize that there's other people that are on another level no matter how fit i stay and how strong i am here and running and all the stuff i did none of that like can prepare you for what you're going to do in the mountains like that I've, like Brandon has been doing it his whole life and climbing those mountains. So he has built up a, you know, and as he would go, he gets stronger, especially at the start of the season. And then I got to go with two other guys that just live and breathe it their entire lives. They don't fish all season. They're like preparing for that. And I was proud of myself that I got to keep up. Like I kept up with them the whole time, but literally up mountains, that, like going in at three in the morning, and hiking 3,000 feet, like it was mountaineering style stuff. And there was like grizzlies, heavy grizzly country. It, it, there was all these things that like the grizzly side of things, like I'm legitimately scared of grizzlies. Like I have a big fear of them because we don't have them in Australia. Yeah. So there's like this intrigue of like I want to see one, but like when you're in their country, like when we were going into the back of this Bozeman area, it's the heaviest uh, grizzly population in the, in the world and there's more attacks there. Every part of me was telling me not to do it. 
and what's funny is I'm kind of, I had been in the past afraid of flying. Like I grew up living in Australia, never flying, yeah. all the things that have happened. And I've had to like, I fought that fear all the time. And instead of like letting it disable me, I would catch that I was scared of it and just go through the motions and do it anyway. And so that's what I was doing when we were going up. Three o'clock in the morning, we're in the snow, 20 degrees, it's snowing in our face, and I'm thinking, this is insane. But when I just did it and went through it, got through the fear, actually went past it, pushed my body way past its limits of what I thought it could do, coming out the other side of that, you just, the growth is unbelievable. And, um, and so I just like encourage people so much to like, don't let that fear cripple you because it, I know it happens to all of us and it has happened to me. I've just, I've learned to figure out when that fear grabs me and I'm like, oh, I don't want to public speak or I don't want to get on a plane or I don't want to do that. I turn the opposite away and I'm like, I'm going to do it and come out the other side and you realize, okay, it wasn't that scary. It wasn't that bad. And now I can do anything because I got through it. And so just that learning curve alone. But then the other thing is no showers, freezing cold, same clothes for days, um, being away from Kayla and her family, my friends for, for I was in the mountains for 18 days, not straight. Wow. On stage I was there for nine days straight and like realizing the, how much I missed Kayla, how much I loved her. What, when I got back, what a, eating a hamburger was like having a having a shower you just had this like totally different appreciation for it like on a level you can't imagine and we just get so accustomed to be like yep burger foods on the table hot shower whenever you want it it just starts to get like you expect like you expect it and you don't really appreciate it coming back from that it's it and then i lose it you lose it like now I've been back a bit. You get used to the hot showers, good. Yeah. This, everything's there readily available for you and it starts to go away. So I feel like that hunt and that style is a big part of my life, what I want to make sure I'm always able to do. So how does that hunt, such a physical climb in mountains, compared to a tree stand hunt where literally, I mean, you hear anglers talk about stand time and how that, relaxes them because you're just yeah. immersed in nature but you're not physically moving through the woods or moving through up mountains like you are when when you're out on that hunt yeah um yeah we talked about to swindle about it a bunch you know it was awesome for me uh something resonated that Seth said was like he said i think it was on your podcast he said like you're alone for so long in the fishing season. He doesn't like to stand hunt because you're just back alone again. Like he wants to shoot, hunt with his mates and, you know, talk crap and give each other crap and just go and have a good time. And so I was like, man, that is true. So the elk hunting was good because you had one, two of yours going all the time. You had that camaraderie. But with Gerald, um, it's not – like I got, I got the easy end of it. He has done like all the pre-work of pre-work. Like he's strong and as fit as ever because he's been lugging corn corn bags and and cut like using machinery, cutting down um, all of the thick shrubbery, like making his property like a deer heaven. And yeah. the work that he put in, I get to just walk up. And he's put the stands up and in the right wind direction. He's got the feeders. He, he's put all of the camera work out. The, the pre-work 
for whitetail hunting is far more than like yeah. elk hunting. Elk hunting, you tend to be like, there's still a lot of involved, but the work is when you get there. The whitetail hunting, the work is pre-work, and then you get to kind of enjoy it. You get to walk in 500 yards, maybe a mile, and get up your tree stand. And then it's, it's, um, it's more tactical then. You know, I learned stuff about fishing, life and everything, just sitting with Gerald, like the wind direction, the way we came in, how they're going to circle, the way those the way the rut works you know i'm just learning just soaking it all in and the cool thing was gerald was he sat with me he had double stands everywhere yeah so he sat beside me and we just got to and like he put the stands up so high like if you fell you're, you're dead like you're you're not you're probably not going to survive that fall it was kind of freaky and again i'm got a little thing of heights but i was like i'm all good like we were he was super safe we we're strapped in the whole way up and we just got to sit there and, and talk about stuff, whisper, and just and then you watch the deer come out and you get to see them just doing their thing, which is uh, on another level. Elk hunting, I went eight days straight, never saw an elk, like didn't see one. And, and public land hunting is like, it's the difference between fishing in a pond and fishing on Chickamauga. Like yeah. we came out of, we did like an 18-mile, two-day tent hike one time. 18 miles in two days we hiked, and all of it's just uphill. It's insane. I come out of there fitter and stronger than I've ever been um, after doing that. But um, you would come out of there, no elk, nothing, come out of there, see a 500-acre land of private, and there's like a 1,000 elk on it. And they're like right there, and they just know. They know they're good up in there. They don't make mistakes, so... Um, the way I'm doing it is the sort of, it's not the right way. It's just the harder way, which I like. Like if I had the money, I could pay, go onto a ranch. You're almost guaranteed to get something. And that looks great. And I'd like to do that one day and have the opportunity. But for right now, um, I like doing it the proper way, which is then gives you a massive appreciation for like how tough it is. And you learn, see how much pre-work goes into it. I, it was the biggest learning curve of my life and hunting that I've ever had this year, learning from Brandon, um, Dan and Anthony, two guys that, that live in Idaho that I got to go with for eight, nine days, and then just the last few days of Swindle. It's just a wealth of knowledge that um, you, couldn't, you couldn't get in a lifetime if you tried to do it on your own. Something you said a few minutes ago that I, I, I don't know if it's a real thing with you. Do, did you ever really have public speaking fears? Like you mentioned that along things that, that, you know, yeah. flying and things like that. Did, yeah. did that bother you at one time or does it still? No, it's, um, I tell people like, uh, I definitely have had it in the past, but only if I didn't prepare, like, and, and so that was always a worry. So I always learned, um, to, to sort of prepare well, but my biggest thing is like, what's funny is if you tell me if I know what I'm talking about I have zero nerves like you just say 10 more people 10,000 people in front of me in a stadium talk about fishing and I'll just go because yeah. I know what I'm talking about and then if you had two people sat down in front of me and said speak about something I had no idea about I would get 100% get those fears so um, it's a I've, I've definitely had it but it's only been when I've uh, hadn't been prepared I'd say yeah, no, and I think that's normal for everyone. You know what I mean? Like, uh, um, I, I think be, if if you don't know what you're talking about and you got to talk, it's a it's a nerve wracking situation. Trust yeah. me. Um, yeah. 
it, it, uh, what that, those hunts, did you get more from that from being immersed in nature or was it from pushing yourself physically or is it a combination of both? Yeah, de definitely a combination of both. You just, um, man, I, like it's, I gotta, I gotta always look back at myself and be like, I'm a kid from Toowoomba. Australia most of my friends people I know have been my family have never left that little town yeah. and then I'm hunting in the mountains of Montana with like Brandon one of the greatest bass fishermen of all time so like I always like I'm like I'm definitely always looking back when I'm in the middle of it as tough as it, it was would get I'd be like I've dreamt, I would never, I've not even dreamt of it. I just would have never imagined in a million years that I would have this opportunity. Um, so, yeah, that's just being out there, the lessons that you learn, the having, not having all the things at your fingertips, having to survive. At, at one stage, um, we went into this backcountry and this huge, we were so high up, 10,000 feet, that this crazy storm came in and it dropped. It was 18 degrees at the 3,000, 4,000 feet below us at the town. So up where we were, it was probably, in, could have been the minuses. And we stopped for a second. We got up in there. We're in heavy grizzly country. It's dumping snow, big snowstorms coming in. It was just eerie. We were up in the, I felt so tiny. I just felt, <laughs> we just felt like nothing. And we stopped and I we got so cold that I was like, it, my heart rate picked up. I was like, this is like, like not light. It was life-threatening. Like if you didn't get do something about it, you wouldn't have yeah. lived for like a couple hours. And those guys, they had all the supplies. They There was like two, three feet of snow. They cleared that. We got branches, did all this stuff, and they lit a fire with like a flint, and we got a fire going. And then that was that appreciation of like we got around this fire. It was keeping you alive. Yeah the warmth you had of it and you were just sitting around it and you felt your body coming back and your attitude changing. Normally you light a fire and you just have a fire there, whatever it gets you warm, but up there it's on another level. So I just kept learning those lessons of like how much sometimes we just take every single little thing for granted all the time. And um, it, it's not until you get a reset like that, that I think everyone needs um, just a little bit in their life, especially in America and Australia where, we're just in a can Canada where we're just lucky, you know, we have everything. It's, yeah, it's incredible countries where we get to, we have everything like right in front of you. So it is, I don't blame anyone. It's just easy to get used to having the ease of things at your fingertips. Yeah, no. I, and I, I think that that it, it's, I get that same. I totally agree with the feeling small. Like when, when I go to Northwest territories, plumbers lodge or somewhere like that, where you're literally somewhere where, like I, the thing that blows me away is you look out and you're like, for as far as I can see, and you can see far because they're long, big views. You know what I mean? Nothing. Yeah. And, but as far as I can see, I'm probably the only human being. You know yeah. what I mean? And it's just yeah. a weird, like we, the world has, maybe COVID's taught us in some ways how big the world really is. Because for a long time, it seemed like it's so small, even Australia. Yeah. You know what I mean? Where you yeah. look where Australia is and it's, yeah. I know it's, you probably halfway through that flight, you're like, want to pull your fingernails <laughs> out. But yeah. relatively, like, if you look at what it, if planes go away, try to get there and tell me how long it's yeah. going to take. No, exactly. Like, we, it gets, we talk about it a bit and it seems realistic. But I was like, 
if imagine if they just sh- if the power shut off right now, like I'd be like, how am I ever? How would I see my family ever again? Like imagine like in a couple of years, train like how do I get to Australia? But because of planes and internet and FaceTime and what we're doing, it makes it small, which has been amazing for me because I would never have been able to do it without this technology because I wouldn't be able to stay in touch and close with my family. Um, so it has been incredible for that, even though it's still hard to do because everyone gets busy um, and and in, in the time change in Australia, people are just waking up. I'm just about to go to bed. It's hard to connect that way. You have to make a real effort. But technology has made you feel like, oh, well, in a day I could be back in Australia potentially if I flew, but COVID has made it, has made it tougher to think about because I'm like, man, with everything going on, like I don't know what's going to happen. Like I might never see my family again. They mightn't be able to come over and meet our, our little baby. Like that's, that's kind of a scary little, uh, a scary thought to me, but um, you just kind of got to stay positive through it. Yeah, well, let, I mean... I don't think we're in a situation where you won't see them again the rest of your life, Carl. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll, we'll get you there somewhere or another. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, uh, be on the, I'll be on my butt bass boat just <laughs> going across the Pacific Ocean. <laughs> How nervous are you to be a dad? Um, um, not really. I'm excited. I'm, I'm super excited. It was um, the, the, the best part about it was um, – I was re- that, like, we made the decision to to do it, you know, and and there was just one day I like woke up and I was like, I want to be a dad, like now, like I'm I'm ready to go. That's what I want to do, and um and so it was cool to be able to make that decision. And, and Kayla felt the same, and I think we just found it helps when you find the right person and the person you want to be with forever. And uh, just got to a stage in my life where, like, you know, I've done a, I've done a lot, and but I'm only just getting started. But I also like, just can't wait to have like a little girl and little boy, or that's a part of us, and I get to bring them up and show them what, uh, you know, what life's about. Yeah, it's uh, toughest thing on earth to leave, but it, I always tell people it's the it's the greatest thing to come home to. You know what I mean? Like your kids are, it's, it is. And the weirdest thing is, and I guess it's part of life. Like as you get older, me and Sarah are just starting to realize now, cause our kids are, are getting older where you're like all those times when they were like two and three and you would hear like my son's feet come doom, 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 down the hallway. Yeah. Cause he had a night terror or something. And you're like, Oh, yeah. these kids in the bed again. <laughs> those are honestly yeah. the greatest things yeah. ever. Like it, it it's, I totally think that life should be backwards. You know what I mean? Like nothing would make you appreciate a temper tantrum from a two-year-old more than just having them be a 15-year-old a few years before, because it's a whole different situation. Even compared to that. Yeah. How tough is it being away from, I mean, I know your family is Kayla and family's growing as we said, but how tough is it away being away from Australia during Christmas? Yeah, it's, it's, it's the toughest thing that I that I have to go through by far. And, um, you know, I definitely just try and, like, work through it. Um, but it's bad because sometimes I'm, I'm bad for, like, if it's out of sight, out of mind a little bit. I am get so busy, busy, you're getting stuff done. And then next to me, you're like, man, I haven't spoke to anyone in my family for months and stuff's going on. And, um, you know, 
not having family, like I've got so many, I have family here, Kayla's mm-hmm. family and the friends that I've made has been incredible. But like I grew, I had 27 years of my life, my entire life, like my actual best friends that I grew up through yeah. school and my cousin, Chris, who we fought and, and watched him go through his career. And um, my uncle and auntie who got me into fitness and health and like, and lo- losing we- it's my biggest thing is like, I'm always like, I just don't want to lose touch with that all the time, but like yeah. you get busy, you get busy. And, um, it, that's the hardest thing to do. Like I said, the, the, um, the time change when they're getting up, I'm going to bed. It's an actual, it, it's actually, I have to constantly think about it and work towards it to make sure I, um, stay up on that. And, um, when times are tough and I've had the toughest times through my career, I wanted my family there. And then, and then through the best times, I wanted my family there. And that's been sort of the, the toughest part. So, you know, the dream for me that keeps me going is like one day I'm going to be in the classic standing there with you and my whole family and friends and, and fans from Australia are going to be waving that flag and I'm going to look up and see them in the stands and that's what's going to make it all worth it. And winning the Elite Series event made it, like, like I said, it wasn't just for me. That win just it just gave them something back because they had sacrificed a lot and supported yeah. me a lot. And, and so to see me grind that long and be like, man, he's just not stopping, but is it ever going to happen? Like he, it seemed like I'd done a lot for, and, and seemed like almost an impossible feat. So that win just like really helped just be like that, that gave them such a big boost of like, yeah, this is cool. Cause you know, seeing them, you see the team Jockinson page, see the fans follow them. That's the stuff that I'm like, that that's given them something big to cheer for too, which gives me a boost as well. But definitely missing them. I see my sisters, she's got my little niece and nephew and like they're growing up. They're like, four, you know, I'm just seeing them shoot up and I'm missing out on a lot. Um, but that when I look back at it, those sacrifices are just something that like, you, you kind of have to do. So, um, you know, it'll it's it's the toughest thing I do by far, but it's something that I I try and work super hard on being better at as much as I can. And you're missing time with them, but I wouldn't say that you're not affecting them. I mean, you're showing them, and so many people, you know, that you no matter how you. big your dream is or how crazy and how many people laugh at you, yeah, you can make it happen if you're willing to to do it, um, or if you're willing to always work at it. Is there any uh, like wacky Australian Christmas traditions that we we don't do? Like, I mean, e- even in Canada and US, there's differences. I mean, the day after Christmas in Canada is Boxing Day, which yeah. uh, is is not a thing in the US. And I did not know what it meant, but it really I looked it up because enough US people said, "What the heck is Boxing Day?" Yeah, it's it's regifting day. It was when in the olden times the the really rich people that lived in houses would yeah. give their help. Um, hand-me-downs so yeah. as they got new stuff for christmas they would box up their old stuff the day after christmas and give it to them so it's regifting day we have so yeah. that's one difference in canada u.s is there anything different in australia that i may never have heard of we have boxing day as well so okay like, you know it's it's crazy like how close canada and australia is like talking to you get when i get up close to canada fishing you hear the radio and stuff i'm like this is like australia talking to gussie and like we have very similar sense of humors where we like just digging into your mates. Like you never give them a break. You can't 
defend us at all. Like, say the worst thing you can about me. My mates will not let up on me ever. I could win the classic 10 times and they'd say I'm hopeless, you know. Yeah. Um, sense of humor and all That's that. That's real friends. Yeah, real true friends. <laughs> and uh, and so there's a lot of similarities between Canada and Australia. Um, but uh, in Australia, Christmas is in summer. So it's in the middle dead of summer. And so it's kind of funny. We decked, like Kayla got to spend a Christmas over there like three years ago, I think. And like we had snow decorations and Santa's <laughs> on a sleigh and like everyone's in their thongs and, and having a beer, you know. So that's the one weird one we call them thongs. So. But that, <laughs> that's just sh- shoes, flip flops. I'm going <laughs> to, I was going to clarify that because I was like, wow, this is a whole different family walking around in thongs. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, so it's, uh, Aussie Christmas is like barbecues, um, beers, beach, uh, like out, outside sort of stuff, you know, like, and it's in the middle of summer. And so uh, we have a couple of traditions is always like prawns. You know, we yeah. have cold, they're cold, cooked, cold prawns, they're cooked, and they sort of are wrapped in um, like newspaper. They'll be wrapped in a standard newspaper and they'll like put them out and you'll have maybe a bit of lemon and you just peel the cold prawns. That's like a Christmas. That's like a Christmas kind of tradition. Um, and then like my dad growing up, uh, he, for Santa, he left out a beer and a mango. That was the, and so when we come down, when we'd come out to the fire, the beer would be empty, which dad drank <laughs> probably, and the mango <laughs> would be eaten and peeled apart and this seed was there and we would just freak out that Santa had eaten this, eaten this mango and drunk this beer. But we found out it was just that's what dad wanted at the time, a beer and a mango about what, what, after we went to bed. <laughs> I thought it just explained why we leave milk and cookies just so by the time he gets over here, he can sober up because he's been <laughs> in Australia first. And the car said, you know, it, the sleigh is starting to fly a little crooked. And he so might we make it sometimes if he has too many. <laughs> if he, hits, he might hit Australia last. That's probably the deal. He finishes in Australia and, and gets his beer. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it, it uh, it's a special time of year for, for everybody, no matter what. It's so you growing up, like when you see all these Christmas specials with snow and everything like that, I mean, do they even play those over there? Or, or like, is it, it, does Santa still live in the North Pole in Australia? Yeah, he lives in the North Pole and we do play, there are Aussie Christmas tunes, but we sort of, we we do a lot of what America does. So we, we do follow that American kind of tradition, but um, just all the different holidays, America just celebrates them like way harder than them than we do. Like we're kind of a bit more laid back, like, oh, yeah, whatever, uh, a little bit. And America's like full on like the craziest celebration you can get and really get into the decorations and, and all of that. And, and we do too, but it's just a little bit more um, laid back. I yeah, I know. I'd say that's America, though. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, well, in Canada, we have fishing tournaments, but they're nothing like these, yeah. you yeah. know? Yeah. One of the cool things you did recently was Meat Eater podcast. Um, yeah. You and Brandon ventured out from the, I mean, literally walked off the mountain and went yeah. in and did that. Yeah, it was, How was it? Yeah, it was cool. It was cool. Steve um, is unreal and like one of the you know i've watched all the meat eat episodes he's got one of the best shows it's crazy that he's put hunting in front of netflix and stuff like that incredible i watch hunting shows and i'm always like oh man it doesn't represent hunting very well a lot of it you know if a non-hunter saw it 
That'd yeah. be, you could see how they could get funny about it. Um, where Meat Eater, he just makes everything make sense. He does everything the right way. So had a lot of respect for Steve Rinella. And so that opportunity was just insane because I was sitting on the couch watching Meat Eater, listening to his podcast a couple of days before and got an email through Brandon and their team and they wanted us to call in. And it just happened to be, well, in Montana, their headquarters are in Bozeman and, uh, we came off the mountain and then that was another thing. Me and Brandon had been in the mountains for five, six days and then we stayed at like a five-star hotel the night before we got in. <laughs> we both had our own rooms and I like got in this king-size bed and turned the TV on and I was like just laughing, just like this is insane. And uh, we they absolutely loved the podcast. It was cool to see um, the, how many questions they had for bass fishing um, I was interested to see what they thought about it. But what was crazy is like we're in their world. Like he is a big fisherman. He's in the fishing world and how little they knew about bass fishing and like tournament bass fishing especially. Like they just, they had so many questions. They are so intrigued about how it all worked. Um, and, you know, a big thing that I, I want to help fix is like there's a bit of a um, bass fisherman get a name of like, he thinks that we all just like catch these fish and let them go and we're just infatuated with bass only and nothing else and we buy fish from the store but then we let a bunch of fish go and that's I, I could see that's how he was thinking. That was his um, concept of a bass fisherman because he had spoken to guys that like never kill a bass and then buy their fish from a store, stuff like that. Yeah. And I understand there's people like that. But majority of us are hunters and fishermen, outdoorsmen. And bass, you don't just, I, I, like there's animals on this world that I think are just meant to be hunted. That's what they are. They're, a, they're, an, a, they're an animal that gets hunted. And then there's predators like lions and, and, and tigers and stuff that actually just eat stuff that eats grass. Like, and, that's, and I feel like a bass is like an ultimate predator. And even though it tastes all right and people eat them, there's other fish that are like almost, you know, meant for eating like walleye crappie that, that are young and they grow fast. They're fast growers. They have short lifespans. And that's what animals that get hunted a lot like deer have the same kind of thing. But an animal that grows big and old, I feel like, you know, needs protecting a little bit. And so he was, you know, it was good to go back and forward, talk to him about that. And they just, you know, they, they had a blast and then and got to ask so many questions about it all. And then um, Steve invited us to go fishing next year um, on cool. his family's property. So he wants to get me and Brandon in our boats and try and, like, figure out the lake that he grew up on and see what we can catch out of there. And then uh, I just suggested he needs to cook us bass after that so we both can taste bass and <laughs> see what it's like. <laughs> That'd be cool. I think sometimes I think the catch or release thing, although it's the most amazing thing, you know, it's I'm totally in support of it, but I also feel like it almost has gone too extreme, you know, yeah. to the way that you, you know, somebody keeps a two pound bass and yeah. we're like, it, it, it's just a weird, it's the yeah. one species that you can't keep that fish or whatever. I guess yeah. muskie's the same. People will, people will um, do bad but, things to you um, if you kill a muskie. Yeah. Um, it's definitely like a fine line and <clears throat> I'd never really thought about it until a few years ago um, when Joe Rogan talked about it and Joe was like he thought it was the strangest thing ever and the way he explained it and I was like 
man, that's a diff. That's that's so true. Like we are, we. It's weird to think we live in a country, Australia, Canada, and America, where you can just let fish go, <laughs> and then like yeah. that's like the thing. You just let them go, and there's countries that are trying to catch fish to survive and eat, but we we're just so lucky that a sport is catching them and letting them go. So putting that kind of in perspective, um, but yeah, at the same time. I've definitely switched my mind a little bit more. Like, it's definitely conservation. I love America for how um, the importance they put on wildlife conservation. Like, they are the best in the world at it. But, like, this amount of people that fish and hunt and they're able to continue to keep it, like, at the level that it is and it is mind-blowing. And Australia could learn so much and I need to be better at, learning what I'm learning here from the way that they do it and somehow portraying it back to Australia because I just, we have almost the worst. It's like the water and the dams are sold for the water and the, and it's the money on that side of things and the wreck fishing and the hunting is, is like at the bottom of the list. And that wow. in turn, like can, they'll drain a river. It's happened only last year, the year before. They drained a river and killed these like hundred-year-old Murray cod giants, like 50, 80 wow. pound, and they just they they had to sell the water and they drained it until the fish literally ran out of oxygen. And, wow. and there's tackle stores and all the things that just suffered from that. And I'm like, they are fighting and fighting, and, and wreck fishing is getting a, a better stronghold. But um, just learning to like. For me, I definitely like love the catch and release, look after the bass, but at the same time, I use my fishing skills to catch us a feed of fish, to catch us some walleye. I at the Elite Series, I keep a feed of walleye, bring them home to Kayla, we cook them. It that gives me the more like what I'm doing is the actual real life. That's what you're supposed to be able to do, you know, is catch fish and be able to provide for your family. So that gives me that much more real concept of it as well as like using the skills that I've learned um, to not only be able to compete at it, but also provide family and friends and stuff with a fresh feed of fish. I think it's nothing more satisfying than bringing a walleye home and, you know, cut, filleting it and preparing it. And, you know, that's what I've learned about hunting too with elk and whitetail. You, we say it all the time now and Kayla killed that turkey and I've killed whitetail or kill a fish. Nothing goes to waste ever so like when you catch go to the effort to go out there and you hunt or catch something you bring it back and you prepare it you don't eat half the burger and throw it in the bin like or like oh there's some leftover like chicken fillets like they aren't going to get eaten like everything is is just gets prepared to the best and nothing gets wasted so makes sense right there and I, and I think that the them not knowing a lot about fishing, and I think it's just, we're talking about extremes. You know what I mean? When you talk to the average angler and explain things that Steve Bernella does to go to, to, to hunt, yeah. it seems strange to them, but Steve, he's the extremist at that. And in angling, I mean, this is the yeah. extreme of it, right? Yeah. It, it, um, it, it is... I wish the hunting and fishing community would work more together. I, yeah. I, I feel like there's that weird little separation, and yeah, it, it's it's very similar. So I, I thought that was really cool when you when you guys did that podcast, and I look forward to seeing you uh, 
efficient uh, <laughs> yeah. that'll that'll be fun that'll it was a fun. good opportunity seeing i got a lot of like followers and different support from it and got a lot of positive um comments about it you know that from people that watched it you just you don't know how people are going to come across it wasn't a video one it was just we're in a room talking and um all the feedback i got was was just super positive so it was cool to be able to bring the tournament world to his world and people get to listen to it and now we we brought probably a whole you know a, a decent group of people that are on that side over to get a, a good perspective of what tournament fishing's about but that was a, that was another thing like one of our main jobs i think is what we do that we don't get brought up is we basically teach people to fish like that yeah. is one of our main jobs and so i think it's really cool like it just doesn't get talked about that much but really at the end of the day our number one job is to teach other people how to fish that's literally what we're doing even when we don't know we're doing it or we're not trying to do it that's kind of our biggest job which i think is pretty cool yeah and if i mean that's bass live if you ask me and especially the last number of years i mean it's gone through an evolution like i mean a number of years ago we had anglers covering their baits hiding and then how like just to say that you laugh but but it's True. I laugh every time I hear it now because it just seems so weird that at one time we had anglers covering their baits so nobody could see them. And now you have people explaining everything, how to yeah. fizz a fish, how, well, what I'm having for lunch. What, you know, like it, it is, yeah. it, which is a weird thing that you guys have to compete and do that. Does, yeah. does yeah. that ever frustrate you or is nothing you think about? No, no, that's, that's, it's definitely getting a little bit frustrating as far as like, um, how do I explain that? Like every time we're on live and we're teaching um, high school, college and open anglers and they're watching our spots, our areas, our techniques, we're single-handedly making our job way harder. Like yep. we, are, we are teaching people how to take our job. Like that's a that's like end of the day, like that's kind of what we're doing and, it, and it's working great because the, the college and open anglers are just getting better and better and just turning into absolute hammers and the spots are getting harder and harder to find because it's get, you know, they can watch it and see it and that's how they found it and that's where it is. And then that just, uh, it just makes our job harder. But at the same time, you shouldn't look at it like that because it's the best thing that ever happened for bass fishing. So um, I'm torn a little bit, um, you know, and I spoke at the at the angler meeting and I, I want to speak more like that, trying to just, um, I don't know, want to see it get a little bit better in a different way as when you make it to the Elite Series, just being able to feel a little bit more stable there. You've worked super hard to get there and not sort of, um, I don't know, have that as big a pressure as if if you get out of there, it's a big difference between being there and not. So how do they do that? Less cuts? Is that what you propose? Yeah, I think um, I think the now that the, the field is lower, um, less cuts and um, and just a little bit tougher to get in um, to the, it's not, it's tough. It's the hardest thing in the world to do. Um, but 12 guys I th- each, each year is a lot to roll out when you start getting into 12 guys that um, are living, that's their full-time yeah. job, that's their tournament career. And their next level down is back to the opens. Um, there's, there's that side of things. And I just think 
my biggest one is I feel like you need to you need way more training and more um, uh, what do you you need to, you need to you need the better all round skills of being a fisherman having sponsors and support before you make it to the elites. It's just that gap in between opens and elites is literally high school football to the NFL. Like that's it's there's no there's not a middle road there and um i got caught up in that and so i don't i want to see it change because i see these rookies coming in that their eyes are this big and they're like i haven't got a sponsor yet and i'm trying to i'm about i've just went from three tournaments a year within a state or two of my home paying fifteen hundred dollar entry fee to paying five thousand dollar entry fees nine times with needing the sponsors, full wrapped boat and truck and travelling the entire country. That is a jump that most people don't realise they're getting into. And that's what I got into and I found myself like in a lot of trouble between 2015 and 16 where I was like, man, I wish someone told me this. <laughs> and I yeah. didn't have that. It seemed like I was going to get there and I was, I was going to be done. I was gonna, that was, it was going to be all fairy tales from then on. But do you do you think to play devil's advocate to that? Yeah, because I, I'm looking I'm, when I think of the first time I met you and what your dream was. Yeah. And then if I pull back and look at the life you're living right now and, <laughs> and I know it, it, you guys have to work incredibly hard. So I think something in some ways it's worked incredibly well, but I also yeah. would wonder, do you not think that that feeling is a feeling that People who get drafted in the NFL feel people who get drafted in any sport, yeah. really, because I feel like that's kind of how life, you know, you're like, hey, man, I'm going to make it to this and then it's going to be. Yeah. But yeah. Really, you find out when you get there, even if it is easier, you know, obviously it's easier. A league minimum contract in the NFL is, e is easier yeah. <laughs> to get by with. But yeah. they also have some downsides to their life, too, <laughs> yeah. that are don't make it easy. Um yeah. But I, I think that that's almost in some ways, and I'm not saying that things don't need to change and always evolve, but I also think that's part of life, right? Yeah. Like where you get there and you're like, whew, yeah. I'm married now. Oh, this is, I've got that taken yeah, care of. And then you're like, well, if you don't work on your marriage, you won't be married if you don't work. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, no, 100%. Like those trials and that stuff I went through made me to the person I am today. Like yeah. I, I wouldn't take, I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade them for anything. Those tough times, they make tough people. Like, and it has made me the person I'm, I'm so stoked with like the human I'm becoming. And it's because I've had that hard road. When these young guys come to me, I have something to tell them. Like, um, so, and I, and I have that experience, like to be able to talk like this and talk about my road. So um, definitely torn in between that and 100% know what you're saying. And I don't want it to be easier for anyone. No. I just feel like it needs to be better in a way, as in we're not asking for the world. It just needs to get better. Like when you get to this level, it just needs to get better. It doesn't mean that um, you don't need to work any harder. It needs to be better when you get there. So, like, it's great, but if you don't work, like, it's not going to be great. So you're going to need to grind, but when you get there, it should be incredible. And it just, it, I found that I was in a, a definitely um, 
one, I didn't realise how much $50,000 worth of entry fees is hard to gather up. Like stuff like that. I'm like just explaining more. So you almost know what you're in for. That's like, I reckon the number one thing in my life that has been the toughest is getting blindsided. Like blindsided by someone that you thought was your friend that isn't. Blindsided by the way you thought it was going to go and you were thinking a different way and it just comes and knocks you. It's the hardest lesson to learn. It sucks. But you do learn. You you don't make that mistake twice. That's the good thing about when that happens. But um, also just having more of a feeder to where like they, if you if you're going to come this direction or if you're in college, just having more of an understanding of how tough it actually is going to be, so you know what you're in for. But like what you said, I wouldn't trade that adversity or anything because now it takes a truck to hit me for me to be able to go like, oh, that was a bit rough. Like anything can like happen and I shrug it off and I see a little tiny bit of adversity that I face on a daily happen to someone and they go to water and I'm like, dude, that's nothing. Like just keep doing it or whatever. But in, And then I'm like, oh, you haven't seen like that hard thing. So you should welcome that adversity um, just as much as you welcome the good times. Um, but I just want to see it. I want to see it. I just want to see fishing get better. I want to see yeah. bass get better. I want to see it grow. Um, and I want to see, you know, that that's the main thing. I just want to see it get better for all of us. And, and for the future, I want to be a part of that. I feel like I've got a good mindset that balances not what just good for me. I want to see what's good for yeah. everything. The guys, the guys that are personalities and drawing big crowds and drawing the um, views should be getting paid more. And if you're not, um, then, you know, you need to step it up or fish harder or whatever, but um, making it better for the angler and on bass is like one thing that I just want to try and work on. I, ha- I just, I don't like sitting back. I have sat back for a long time and I'm like, I just want to be able to talk about it. It makes you feel way better. You and me just discussing it, talking about ideas. I feel like that's, that meeting was awesome. And we just, uh, uh, you, we got to just talk about stuff. Let us let them know how we feel. They let us know what's happening. People talk, and then something could something good could happen for it. I mean, the goal should always be to make it better. I mean, yeah. honestly, that and that 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 should. I mean, last week's guest, Mark Menendez. That's a lot of what he talked about. You know, making things better. Um, and and I totally agree with you there. I mean, and if you don't think it's tough, like when you look at the cuts, look at this year's cuts now. Yeah. Fast forward 12 months from now. Yeah. Read the 12 names you're going to have to cut. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah. it gets it. And and then 12 months down the road from that, there's another 12. And I totally get from you. I mean, it's you're, you're running on a treadmill yeah. <laughs> just to, just yeah. to keep up. Um, yeah. So, it, but I also feel like that is also probably what anyone feels at the, you know, I feel like if a bunch of things changed and, you say like whatever we wrote on paper right now, I feel like you're almost one of those people that's always going to feel like I got to yeah. keep hustling. I got to, yeah. no. because no. the level you're at now, if I'd have said to you 10 years ago, 10 years from now, you'll live here. You'll be expecting a baby, a beautiful, like you'd be like, yeah. Hey, where do I sign up? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it, human nature is when you get there, you still want to keep driving. Now you feel like, well, yeah, I do have a beautiful wife and a baby on the way. I got to provide for them. We got to work to make this better. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that, you know, that's the biggest thing is I, I'm definitely never satisfied. It's just what pushed me to be here. You know, I'm, I, 
for me to be happy, I have to see progress in every sense, in everything in my relationship, with my friendships, every single thing for me. The only way I can be happy is when I see that progress with my sponsors. If I don't see that progress, I'm like, oh, it hurts me. And then I, so in my career and so everything I'm looking at when stuff stays the same and it sits a little bit long and it doesn't progress, like that's, that's my sort of worst, worst thing. And, but that's why I'm, where I'm at I think it's because I want to always I'm not satisfied with just that I have those goals and dreams and then I need to progress you know up towards them and I think we as bass fishermen a lot of people think like that so that's what drives Brandon to win five in an AOY and want to win the next one like just as bad as he did the first one yeah it's uh his drive is incredible, but but I feel like it, you guys all have that. And it's when I hang out with you, it's not it's not just fishing. It's when you guys start showing pictures of deer, it's a contest. When you got like cornhole becomes, yeah. you know, like live or die. Yeah. It, it it do you has that been your whole life? You've been that ultra competitive person like growing up playing sports and stuff? Yeah, but um just you know psycho on it like losing honestly i like losing in like even even elk hunting like when i was coming back from a day with dan on my final day and we didn't get one like it felt like like i'd lost like i got that feeling i had to like snap myself out of it and be like look where you are and look what yeah. you're doing but i i got that feeling i i can't stand it when i don't when i miss the check and i have a bad event in an elite series like I fight as hard as I can not to feel like, you know, like it feels like death. Like I'm, it's the worst. I can't even explain it. So like I fight as hard as I can not to have that feeling because I don't want to have it. And so as a kid in my family, on my cousin Chris's side, I mean, my dad, my dad didn't let me win. We played table tennis. He didn't let me win until I was like 16 years old. Like, he just never let me win and like I thank him for it because when I won, oh like it was like he I knew then he didn't let me win. Like he was trying as hard as he could. And so um I played rugby from a kid um right through high school and like you didn't want to get hit by me. I was like in high school and primary school, I was the shortest kid. But like if the kid got the ball, like I would would die tackling them as hard as I possibly could. Like kids didn't get up and they're like, they don't want to get tackled by me because I'm gonna, it's not, I'm not there to play, like I'm there to win. And so I played all sorts of sports growing up, and that's just how I was. And my cousin, he's just like he's a natural freak of nature when athletic and I can't beat him at anything. And I try as hard as I can and he can just beat me and run and beat me in everything. But the one edge I have on everyone is fishing. I like I've always had that little edge. I have that mindset and I've always just had the passion for it. And so I always gravitated towards that, no matter what sport I played, how good I got at it. Um, I just always went back to fishing. And so that was just my passion. So when I found the competitive side to that, I jumped, all over it but you have to have that nature of where if you're playing a little game of basketball at front like you want to win more than anything and everybody everybody every one of you guys that you all are like that you know it, it amazes me it's like and it's almost like i realize now like all the parents that are telling their kids oh you know it's okay you know you should we jog equal time none of the you know none of you are good losers but i also think that that makes you a 
a winner. You know what I yeah. mean? Like the, yeah. you can't throw a temper tantrum, obviously, like yeah. it's used to. Mm-hmm. But uh, <laughs> but but I mean, you should hate losing. At, at no point should you ever, no matter what you're doing, at no point should you be like, oh, well, that was that was okay. It was his time to win. Yeah. You know, it should burn in you to to always want to win. You brought right. up your childhood. What is the greatest? Christmas gift you ever got as a kid or like, like that one, everybody's got that one that like, I need my red rider BB gun or whatever it is. What was it for you? Yeah, I knew it straight away as soon as you said it. Um, and it's the, it's the day I found out that Santa wasn't real, which is, so I'm, I'm torn, I'm torn, but spoiler um, alert. For yeah, those spoiler alert. Um, I just remember, um, it was my granddad bought us a, my, our first boat and it, it was, it was a wooden boat and, uh, and, literally it was a wood boat with two oars in it and it was on a trailer and I was just so ate up with fishing and my dad was so busy it was very hard I would just go wherever I could ride my bike I'm just I was crazy and Christmas morning I looked out the window and I seen it sitting in the yard and uh and my logical brain thought, there's no way Santa brought that. <laughs> and that's when I was like, and then granddad bought it for us. And I said to dad, did Santa really bring this boat? And he's like, no. And I was like, he's like, your granddad bought it. And I'm like, damn. <laughs> um, but yeah, that boat was, uh, that boat really like fed a lot of my, um, a lot of my passion. I've got so many memories that literally, and then the first time we got a min coder on it, put a battery in it and, it used to fill with water and when the water was like up like up halfway up your thighs that's when it was time to like head back like you couldn't keep up to the <laughs> couldn't keep up with the bucket and uh you know and that's it just grew from there but yeah got that wooden boat for one christmas and that was, that was the end of me those amazing gifts you'll never forget i mean you will never forget that feeling you know of that boat and and what what the freedom that that gave to you i mean i i and we get so spoiled, you know, you look at how boats are equipped. I, like I remember yeah. rowing in between each dock to fish docks and I would anchor out in front of them. And But it's just, it's that drive to want to be out there. Um, what do you, this is a good, like a question that you would have a good answer to, I feel. My, my big concern is like my kid, it's their first boat is going to be a hundred thousand dollar Falcon with the Yamaha on it. Like that to me, like I, that digging the worms and like seeing people in a boat being like, and like the first time I got invited on the boat, I was like, no way. Like this guy's going to let me on this boat. And it was just a 10 foot like tinny with a four horsepower on it. And so like the progress of my life, I'm so thankful for because it was a slow progression. It just kept getting better and better. And it was like, now I had my own boat or like I appreciated being off the bank and then I got a kayak and then that was awesome. So like, I worry when I see these kids, it's definitely up to the parents because I've seen kids where their parents have everything and they're super grateful and they're casting off the front deck of a bass boat and they're super um, grateful. So that's the battle I think I'm going to have the most is like, and I'm sure successful people have had that where they did the, they went through the grind and then their kids get it good, but then teaching them having the appreciation for everything. You know, How do you do that? I, I think it's tough. Like, I think it really is, but I think it's, that's part of, of being a parent and teaching them. You know what I mean? Like it, it, the boat that you had, I'm yeah. sure 
you know, if you talk to your family, that was a bass boat. What was that? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Compared oh, to yeah. their childhood, yeah. you know, to, to yeah. the, and that feeling that you got looking at that boat. So um, I, I, we've always just been really careful too, also to tell our kids like, this isn't normal. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I, <laughs> we got it good. We're doing you know, good. We got it really good. But, and I think one of the things that makes it easier for kids and, and it's one of the toughest things they go through, but kids that have parents that do similar jobs to us, we're gone a lot. So at least they see that, like they see the sacrifices that are made, you know what I mean? To make yeah. sure. So I, I think it's, it's just teaching them to value things and, and, and work for it. You know, none yeah. of this came, came for free, but it, the other thing that amazes me is as kids get older, they want to prove themselves too. You know what I mean? Like my son, a fish is much more valuable to him if he catches it out of his John boat and he oh, goes yeah. out himself yeah. and he's so proud to come back and tell me, you know, yeah. exactly how the fish ate, and, you know, just like a conversation yeah. we would have, but it's yeah. a different experience than, um, they would. I think I spoiled my kids, to be honest. I ruined them fishing wise. I brought them to the best places. I mean, now they go fishing for three oh, minutes. Man. They're like, I haven't caught anything. This sucks, dad. <laughs> Get us on the juice. <laughs> Every one of every cast. Yeah. But but it's, you know what I mean? Like, I think every kid, you know, As here's the other truth. Every kid is also going to feel like they're hard done by. That's the yeah. honest truth, no matter what yeah. you give them. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I just, I, I think that, that them seeing you, I think the biggest thing a parent can do is just show them. Like, I yeah. think kids learn more from their parents just watching. Yeah. Than they ever do from you sitting down. If I sit down with Jack or Cadence and I tell them something, they learn, but they learn the real stuff that they learn and the person they become, the person you are, the work ethic you have, that's from what you saw growing up. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, did you get told you better work hard, you better do this? I just saw the people around me, how hard they worked, and it rubbed off on me. I didn't even see them and think that's how hard I'm going to work. I just became like that. Yeah. It's seeing it. I mean, it's, it's what they see. Like, I will tell you one of the things that um, my family, I mean, we're immigrants. We immigrated to Canada um, from Ireland. So a lot of times when you move to a new country, I mean, it takes forever to get stabilized, literally. And uh, so we were broke a lot <laughs> growing up. And, and I think my dad did something that, that I am so proud of but I probably would have been embarrassed of back then. And, and I don't think I've ever talked about it publicly, but I'll tell you, but it was one of the greatest lessons. My dad worked in insurance and he was an insurance salesman and then, you know, worked into management or whatever, but we were still broke. I mean, we we're new to, so he yeah. literally took a job delivering pizzas. And I think yeah. about that now. And I think about what feeling must have gone through his mind every time he rung a doorbell. Is yeah. this going to be one of my clients? You yeah. know what I mean? And not that there's nothing wrong with delivering know, pizzas, yeah. but if you yeah. think, do you want your insurance salesman or your insurance broker or whatever, you know, so you just think of, yeah, but my dad didn't give a crap because he's like, it's more important that I work and, and yeah. provide for my family. So wow. you take something like that and you're just like, that's yeah. that I learned so much from that. So, so I guess, I mean, it, it to me, it, it's, you learn from what you see. And, and, um, and one thing I can guarantee you is your kid 
whether they fish in that boat behind you or they fish in that boat that you got when you were a little kid, they're going to see a hard work ethic. They're going to see somebody who doesn't is relentless and won't take his foot off the pedal. Both you guys, you and Kayla. Um, so I, I wouldn't worry about that, yeah. but, yeah. but they will be spoiled little brats. Yeah. Look at that behind you. I mean, <laughs> you know how many people tuned into this and right away was like, who's the idiot in the reindeers. And I just want to be in Carl Jacobson's garage right now. Yeah, I've I've definitely had this vision of this shop like almost my whole life, and it's 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 getting there now. I, I just I'm, I just looking at it, I'm like, this is awesome. Just being in here, it's pretty cool. All right, we got the season ahead. We've hardly talked about fishing on this fishing yeah. podcast. <laughs> so quickly, tell me what you're looking forward to. Uh, what's the outlook on on the upcoming season? A fresh slate, no pressure. Yeah, but there's always pressure. Yeah, it's always like. I'm learning to deal with these off seasons a little bit better. It's like the worst time, like, cause you're so stressed out about getting your boat, getting it wrapped, getting the design sponsors. This, you never write so many emails. It's kind of insane. It's a lot of the stuff that most people don't see. You just pop up and oh, you got a wrap truck and boat cool, ready to go. And they don't see what goes in behind that, but everything's looking good. I'm very fortunate. I've got my boat. Yamaha's on the way. Um, I'll be taking it to Nashville, Anderson's Marine, um, hopefully on Monday to get the Yamaha fit up. Got all of my graphs, um, the trolling motor, hummingbirds. Um, so everything's here, which not everyone has because it's been kind of crazy. So that's, I'm, I'm fortunate in that. There's a lot of guys that are going to be probably running their same boat from this year, next year, um, with the shortage of so much stuff. Um, it, it's crazy like that's real just, like yeah. i've heard from a lot of pros that literally have been told you we can't get you a motor this year we yeah. can't get you grat mm. how is that going to affect things i mean in um i don't know it's like some guys have just have lucky to where like the sale of my boat is a big deal you know like it's a it's a big thing at the end of the year that gets us rolling into the next year so like keeping my boat wasn't really an option um but i got lucky i sold it to a guy um that did the bassmaster open um experience with me and he was like hey if you need it like and he was going to keep it wrapped and be ready to go so a lot of guys are so awesome like that yeah um but i'm i'm fortunate but yeah a lot of guys are just going to be rolling in to I think next year into their boats from, from this year and then, you know, have to trade through um, next year. So that's been the biggest, um, that's been the biggest hurdle I think is just product and, you know, in foreseeing future product, trying to get baits in that, um, you know, I, I get my calendar up. I look at all of the um, schedule and then I'm like, okay, this one, I'm going to need this, this and this. I write a list down and I do a order from my sponsors and some from the tackle warehouse and I get it all in and, there's been shortages on stuff that even yeah. tackle that you need line, like all sorts of stuff. Um, but other than that, it looks good. I'm pretty happy with where I'm at. Got wrap designs, everything happened. I'm start when I get that feeling of like, okay, I've got things organized. It feels good. I get to go fishing or do a bit of hunting, but even with swindle it's like, I could have stayed for a couple more days and I'm like, I had, I knew I had these emails and these things to get back. And I'm like, I got to go because I can't enjoy the hunting when that stuff's, I can't sit or sit there and enjoy it. So I have to go and get it all done. So I'm organized and then hopefully I can get back or get some hunting done here. Um, but schedule looks good. The um, 
the little baby is she's going to be due very close to when I need to leave to Florida. So that's going to be the interesting. Wow. <laughs> yeah, but there's actually that's good because there's like a baby due pattern. Like a lot of people win tournaments right around when their babies do. I'm expecting to win some Johns. I'll just say that. <laughs> if you're on fantasy team, get me on there. Um, even if I have half day practice or no practice, <laughs> we'll start on day two. <laughs> um, but no, that that's that's going to be interesting. Um, so we'll just play it as it comes there, and then after that, um, the schedule looks great. I think this is the best schedule Bass has ever done. Um, um, the only thing I would have changed is changed the data and John, so it's not as close. Like I don't mind going back to the same fisheries. I just don't. I just don't like when it's the exact same yeah. time as the previous year. That makes it difficult because if you hit that same weather pattern, um, it's you're going to see a, a pretty similar tournament and then it's hard to get around where guys caught them the year before like you don't want to go there and then you find yourself like i've got to find this area how does that work like i get it that you know you guys sorted out day one day two whatever but like if a guy uh, i mean you can't just own a stretch for yeah, like we go there every year so you guys can't own stretches from previous years can yeah. they or do they they definitely do and <laughs> it's, it's that's like you know like hackney figured out that cypress knee deal and so like it's that's what's frustrating to me it's like well if you go and do that try and find it somewhere like it's like oh well you just saw him you get a little bit of that i hate that feeling um but you're better off just going and finding your own things but there are just some lakes especially the kentuckys and the pickwicks and stuff when you have it and it's a full offshore deal it's kind of a nightmare they the year before you weren't on that school, but you idled past it this time and they're there. So like you're going to fish it and then you show up, it's a tournament a year later and they're frustrated with you or something like that. So there's a bit of a balance in that, but um, Santee Cooper, awesome. Like probably could be the best tournament ever in history of that. Really could. That has the potential to do that. Um, the one I'm most excited about is Oahe. And so, um, I went there on my way out elk hunting. So we drove, we left. You here. didn't get to go there last time we were there. That's, no, I, yeah. That, yeah. So I watched okay. the Elite Series and it was pretty tough, you know, it looked tough. Weights were really low. Um, and so the way it was working for us to head up to um, Idaho to elk hunt was right through the end of August when the tournament's going to be on lacrosse in Oahe. So my practices these days, I only do them if they're going to be like worthy practice days i'm not gonna fish lacrosse in the spring when our tournament's in august it's just it's worth if you've never been there it's worth driving around but fishing yeah. is just in, it, it's gonna throw you off it's hard to forget about those things that you saw um but it was literally right on that date and then Oahe's the next day so i'm like these are two worthy amounts of time and so i put five days on lacrosse and then we drove across and put another five days on Oahe before we headed across there. And it was probably the best smallmouth fishing I've ever had in my life. So wow. We're gonna That's saying fish. a lot because yeah. you've been to some pretty awesome places. I've been to some good places. Size-wise, not as good, but I caught like I caught a couple of five-pounders every day, which is like a yeah. giant anywhere you go. Um, but one day between 11 o'clock and dark, I caught over 100 smallmouth. I was catching them every single cast and like 30 and 40 were coming up at one time and just swimming around the boat. And I was like, this is going to be a different tournament next year. So um, they're going to, people and the guys are going to get to see something pretty special, I think. 
And we're at the better end of the lake this time, I believe. Yeah. Last time, yeah. the big thing was there's no gas in between. Yeah. So literally, you could only run as far as your gas would get you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but this time, they won't. You, the, the runs won't be near as bad, which probably yeah. means all the fish will be back down the other end yeah, of the lake. Yeah, the winner will come back from the boat ramp where they were a couple of years ago. <laughs> it, can get rough, it can get nasty. It blew up a couple of days, and I was like, whoa, this place can get pretty, uh, pretty nasty. So that'll... Uh, That'll that'll be interesting, and it was eighteen feet low when I was there, so that gave a whole different look to it as well. But that's the one I'm like most excited about. A lot of people excited about that one. Yeah. Um, it, it uh, I think it'll be a great term. It's a really cool part of the world. I mean, yeah. it, it, we saw the Badlands when we were up there last time. I mean, it, which is literally you feel like you're in Jurassic Park. Yeah. Like you stand there and you're like, this is. It could be Star Wars. It could be Jurassic. It's just such a yeah. cool cool part of the world but uh you know what's not cool my head i mean i've really committed to this thing and i'm i, I regretted it about three minutes after i committed to it but but i but but it's hard work hard work pays <laughs> off we talked about that but uh th this podcast is overheating carl i have one last question for you <laughs> what what is your new year's wish to the bass fishing community um the bass fishing community um my new year's wish is for i think just uh all of us everyone as far as humans just to come together be more understanding of each other and uh and support each other a lot more and um my biggest thing is um keeping our lakes clean and and that, that's going to be a big push that i'm going to do after this year and seeing some of the lakes i want all of us to get together and uh you know, there's always big pushes to keep the oceans clean and stuff. We're in the lakes all the time. I want everyone to um to make sure that we leave the place clean for the next person and 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 respect the bass, the tournaments, and continually work hard to make this sport the best uh, the best it can be. And so, I think all of us need to come together and and do that. Well, I thank you for this time, and and I wish you a very merry Christmas, and uh, I look forward to. Here's my here's 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 my prediction. That this will be this upcoming classic will be the last classic that I don't have a sea of Australian maniacs yeah. with flags and music and all sorts yeah. of craziness and shoeies. Shoeies. Uh, I want beer. I got to see beer hats with the two cans of Fosters. How <laughs> time? I mean, I thought the Canadians would have brought it. I mean, Corey chugged a beer on stage, but you. I mean, we need fans with the yeah. We need shoeys, double straws. We need flags. It's going to be. Uh, we need to show show Canada how the Aussies do it. It'll be. It might be a bit of a battle on there. <laughs> well, I think I think they'll just gravitate to each other because that's generally what oh, drunk yeah. people do. I mean, they, they find each other and they they have a good time. Uh, but uh, always a good time talking to you. Thanks, mate. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and uh, we'll see you soon. Thanks, mate. Appreciate having us on. Good googly moogly. That was a horrible idea. Carl Jacobson was right. I should have took the hood off. Never ever go full Rudolph um, during a podcast because I'm a sweaty mess right now. But uh, I regretted three minutes after saying I was sticking with it. But I was like, oh, it's going to be awkward if I take it off now and it's going to get all twisted and whatever. But now it's just awkward for me personally, not for all of us. So I did that for you guys. And Speaking of doing things for people, I thank Carl Jacobson for making the time uh, during the holidays to do this show with me. 
And I thank each and every one of you guys for tuning in week after week. I mean, this has been an incredible journey. This is our 36th show. And in 36 weeks, we went from 35,000 YouTube subscribers to now over 70,000. Um, it grows every day. It grows every week because of the amazing support from you guys. And I can't thank you enough for everything you've done for me, for my family, just by simply watching this show, for all of the guests that are kind enough to come on. It's unbelievable. And uh, I can't thank you guys enough. Um, you have no idea how much your support and encouragement and um, just simply by supporting this, just you really have no idea how much it means to me and all of us. So thank you very much. And one guy that I do need a very special thank you to, he does our intro and our outro every single week. Well, he did it once and we just play it over and over again. But uh, the amazing Bob Cobb. Thank you, Bob Cobb, for everything you give us and everything you have given this entire sport. And uh, enjoy being. Merry Christmas. Take it away, Bob Cobb. Thanks for watching. Please like, comment, and subscribe. Because Bob Cobb of the Bassmasters told you to. You hear?